0: Hey, everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Hey, Man, It's Okay. I'm your host, Skylar Bridges. And of course, I have my amazing co-host with me, Ryan Heapy. Hey, guys. Welcome. So we have a very special guest today. I'm very excited. We have all the way from Australia, host of the Touched Out podcast, Carter.
1: Welcome, Carter. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thanks for coming and, uh, you know, making time in your day because I know, you know, we had to make this crazy time difference work.
1: Yeah, no, all good. I'm a night shift worker, as we were discussing before. So this is my evening now. It's uh, quarter past nine in the morning. I got home at around about eight, played a little bit of games then you know, got all prettied up for you guys. (laughs) Nice, Thanks the, nice. I, I had
0: to do that too. I was, you know, I, I work from home most of the time. So I had to get all pretty up and out of my PJs to be on camera here.
1: I bet you're still uh-huh. in bottom half PJs though, aren't you? Hey,
0: sh- what you see is what counts, right?
1: I'm still bottom half work clothes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're opposites. We're like opposite mullets.
1: That's it.
0: (laughs) Yep. Well, cool. Well, Carter, thank you so much. I'm so excited for our conversation today. You want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and then we'll kind of get into some of your story behind why you got into this.
1: Yeah, sweet. So the Touched Out podcast is my little creation, my little dip into uh, the creative world of podcasting. I started it in February this year. So basically the quick story behind it is that a bit over 12 months ago, my son- Roman, who's two years old, was diagnosed with autism. And shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed with ADHD and autism as a 35-year-old then father of three. Really threw me for a loop. And I went through a whole range of emotions and, you know, grieved the life I could have had if I had have had that diagnosis from an earlier age and I could have had some more supports and people advocating for me. And maybe I would have been able to finish school and maybe I would have made less of the silly decisions that I made due to my impulse control issues and I found myself kind of wallowing in it and I was just pitying myself and I didn't want to keep going like that so I kind of picked myself up by the bootstraps and decided to turn it into a bit of a positive positive. and the Touched Out podcast is what was created from so I have parents on every fortnight and we talk about the kind of nitty-gritties of parenthood and life in general. I couldn't find any podcasts specifically with four parents about parents and by parents, like about their mental health journeys, the way in which they grew up, the way in which they have healed their like childhood traumas. And we talk about any diagnoses that they have and how that affects them going into parenting, how that has molded them into the parents and the people that they are today. So we talk about self-care strategies, we talk about, it's pretty much a no-holds-barred safe space for everyone to talk about things Uh, that they, they need to get off their chest, which is super important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How did you go about finding parents to put on? Did you just like know, have friends that you wanted on? Or were there certain people you were looking for who were parents that wanted to discuss this?
1: So episode one, I had a guest on named Kate and she's someone that I knew personally. And I already knew a little bit about her story. So when I was kind of brainstorming, I knew I wanted to have someone on that I had already known for my first guest at least, just so there was already a bit of rapport and there wasn't any kind of first time jitters or anything like that. So I've reached out to her and she was super keen to do it. And we had a great conversation. Still to this day one of our one of my favorite episodes that I've done. She's the stepmother of a wonderful little girl named Paige and Paige was shaken as a baby. So Kate was dating Paige's father. They are no longer together, but her and Paige had such a special relationship that she now co-parents Paige with Paige's biological mother. So the father's completely out of the picture. And I thought that that was a really, really cool story that I wanted people to hear about. I was like, let's record. We did that recording. And from there, I have a little bit of a following on my personal social media pages, I reached out to a couple of people that are parents that I know had struggled with mental health issues in the past and they were receptive to coming on. So yeah, kind of was just born from there.
2: Carter, can you kind of tell us maybe a little bit about what that journey was like, you know, either leading up to those diagnoses, what made you kind of, I don't know if you you sought them out or how those diagnoses came about. And I I imagine that must have been.
1: The ADHD diagnosis, was the first one and it kind of it was a lot to do with my wife you know i have a lot of executive dysfunction issues so to anyone planning and executing things that i need to do ticking off things on my to do list you know it, it tends to stack up and i get overwhelmed and i end up just sitting on the couch for 6 hours and not doing any of it and all of my life i was just like i guess i'm just lazy i guess this is just what laziness is And I hated that part about me. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, I just couldn't change it. And that really, really annoyed me. And then I think my wife tagged me in a TikTok video about executive dysfunction. And she's like, might be worth looking into. So we both started doing some research and doing some educating and puzzle pieces just fell into place. And I was like, Jesus, this makes so much sense. Impulse control issues, focus issues, executive functioning issues, just all of those textbook ADHD traits. So from there, I went to my GP and got a referral to a psychiatrist, which was about like a month, month and a half wait. I had to fill out a bunch of forms and do a bunch of questionnaires And then, yeah, sure enough, he was like, you definitely have ADHD. So I'm now medicated. And then after I started taking my medication and that leveled out my ADHD and I was kind of baseline with all of that kind of side of things, I started to unmask, which like I didn't really know too much about autism apart from what I'd researched with my son. So I had a lot of stimming and sensory seeking behaviors. And I was like, geez, maybe it's just because of the ADHD meds, you know, the stimulants. But what I've come to realize is that that's me normally. And that's me unmasking. And I had to learn what unmasking is. And yeah, I come to find out that I don't actually really know, or I didn't really know who I was as a person. I found out that most of my personality was just bits and pieces that I'd picked from people that I admired over the years and was like, I'll take that because that will make me liked in society and make me seem like a pretty well adjusted, normal, and good person. (laughs) So all of a sudden, I was like, who the fuck am I? Uh, I don't know what I like. I don't know what hobbies I'm into. I don't know. I just don't know anything. So. In probably 14 months, I've completely rebuilt myself and the podcast is very, very much a learning journey for me as it is something that I can put out into the world and help other people.
2: Can you talk a little bit more about the unmasking and and maybe kind of what that means and and what that was like for you?
1: So with autism, uh, with neurodiverse people, because we have a lack of understanding of social norms and appropriate social cues and things like that. A lot of the time growing up, if we don't have that kind of diagnosis and there's no education about it, masking is taking characteristics or personality traits from elsewhere, popular culture, movies, TV shows, things like that, or people that you admire. You take things that you like about those people and you make that a part of your personality to seem like you are neurotypical. And, you know, looking back now, it's pretty obvious to me now that I have that education and I know what these terms are and I kind of know the feelings. It's just like, I definitely did that. I definitely was like, this is my best friend. I love him. And he does this thing that people seem really, really receptive to. So I'm going to do that thing too. And I tended to end up having to switch friendship groups quite often growing up. Because people would get a little bit tired of my switch in personality or my switch in like uh, clothing styles and things like that. Because all it was was just me trying to make sense of the world around me and trying to fit in, and I never quite could.
2: What are some of the big changes that you've made in this discovery? You know, or or I guess, yeah, in the unmasking and I guess leaning into maybe your true identity.
1: My true identity is very, very much husband and father it's what brings me the most joy. It's what brings me the most peace, even though my kids do my absolute head in sometimes. (laughs) It's being a father is what I was meant to do in life, I think. And I daily make it my mission to try to better myself as a person so I can better myself as a father.
0: That's great. Yeah. I mean, you have the distinction between the three of us that you're a father because Ryan and I both don't have kids. We're both, well, Ryan's a single, single guy. I'm a single, well, not single guy, but I'm what they call dinks, a dual income, no kids couple. And you know, my wife and I are really, it's important to us to talk about our mental health and to discuss things and check in with each other. Was this something that, that your wife was like all on board as soon as you started going into it and you kind of like changed and grew together with this, with the diagnosis and stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah, 100%. And funnily enough, my wife also is on the spectrum and has ADHD also. So it has been very much a family affair when it comes to being neurodiverse. It's, it's pretty cool that we've been able to go through it all together.
0: So besides running the podcast, I know we've talked a little bit earlier about what you did for your regular nine to, well, not nine to five, since you work night shifts, but you want to tell us a little bit about that And how it's kind of affected you with the change in your lifestyle and your hobbies and stuff?
1: Yep. So I work in a youth justice facility. Uh, So I work with youth prisoners, essentially. We call them clients here because we are very much not about naming something what it actually is. (laughs) They like to make it seem a little bit more rosy. But yeah, I've been in that position for almost five years. I did a year on day shift. And after I was assaulted breaking up a fight, uh, I took a little bit of time off and decided to switch over to night shift, which evidently being autistic is so perfect for me because I don't have to work in a team environment. And across a 12-hour shift, I maybe see my managers for like five minutes. So I'm very much just left to my own devices.
2: I'm really curious what, kind of, what made you want to get into that line of work? I just wanted you, to help you people.
1: Think it, um, <laughs> I struggled a lot growing up. I got into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Luckily, it was never anything substantial that would put me in a place like that. But if I had have gotten caught doing the things that I was doing, definitely, definitely could have ended up there. So, I mean, I spent over a decade in call centers and like office jobs and it was soul destroying. I absolutely hated every moment of it. And then My wife and I, after we had our first baby Hendrix, we had built a house in the country. So it was out of the city. I needed to find a new job. I didn't want to have to commute to the city an hour and a half each way every day. And this was the first job that popped up when I I looked online. And I was like, babe, do you reckon I'd be a good prison officer? And she's like, you've been punched in the face. So yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: You'll be right. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So I applied and went through this absolutely rigorous interview process it was like three or four months of interviews and psych evaluations and we had to do like scenarios where like there was paid actors hurling abuse at us and throwing chairs around and shit and drug tests and wow
2: Uh all of this yeah
1: so you really really had to be resilient from the get-go. You had Mm -hmm. to demonstrate the resilience. You had to demonstrate your integrity and empathy and all of that. So, yeah, I got through. And then it was three months of training where we, you know, learned our tactical training in case we had to go Mm hands-on and a lot of kind of psychology and best practice and stuff like that just to make Mm -hmm. sure that we were able to – we're youth workers first and foremost, you know, we're there to help help the boys – become their, the best versions of themselves. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work that way. A lot of the boys that are in there are very, very, very hesitant to accept any help. We are seen as, you know, the enemy, the, the authority, which, you know, not their fault. It's deep-rooted trauma. But yeah, I just, I felt like even if I'm not directly helping them, I'd rather it be me that's there knowing that I'm a pretty decent person and I have their best interest at heart instead of like some fucking John Wayne cowboy going in there and just like respect my authority or like, I'll put you on the ground, which unfortunately, or every prison has those, those types of employees. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll still give it my best. And, you know, unfortunately I did get assaulted by a, a boy who I thought I had really, really good rapport with. So that really knocked me for six That's where my mental health first kind of really declined in my 30s. But I got into therapy. We had a great clinical psychologist through work that I had access to. And uh, I I was seeing her weekly. My wife wanted me to quit completely. She's like, you you know, we've got a newborn. It's too dangerous. (laughs) And I was like, how about I switch to night shift? It's extra money and the boys are, you know, locked in their rooms. And I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, the, the hours are perfect for me. I get to put my kids to bed before I leave for work and I get home when they're like getting ready for daycare. So I get to work while they sleep. I don't really miss out on being a dad. And being there at night is super important for the boys as well because that's generally when they're their most vulnerable. You know, they're inside their bedrooms alone with their thoughts and that's when, you know, their thoughts can take a bit of a turn. So I'm able to help them in that way. That just, them knowing i'm there
2: yeah that's so cool i think at least my i don't know maybe common misunderstanding would normally be that people would want to take those jobs to exert control kind of like you're saying but to hear somebody who wants to to be in that position to make a difference i think is
1: it's really admirable thank you i appreciate it Uh, it's a tough gig man it's a tough gig to to be called every name under the sun because you won't make them a sandwich at three in the morning but They've gone through hard times and unfortunately they're in this position. I feel like being a dick about it and being like, fuck mm-hmm. you do what I say is just adding insult to injury. They're already in jail. <laughs> Isn't that enough punishment, right? Like we don't have to be dicks to them as well.
0: Yeah, that's super cool of you. That's super cool. I think I bet you they appreciate that.
1: A little bit. Every now and then <laughs> you get one that's just like, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So through this, you found, you know, therapy, your therapist through your work, which is really great and admirable. I love when companies will support their employees like that. So that's really great. And it's great that you figured out how to make it all work together. What are some of like your favorite lessons you've learned about parenting through your hosting of this podcast and through your journey into your own mental
1: health. I think the biggest lesson <laughs> that I've learned is that when no one's alone, no one, you can be really in the trenches with being a parent and just feel like you're in this dark room, completely isolated from the entire world. But the biggest lesson that I've learned is, you know, all of these people that are sharing their stories with me, we have one thing in common. Well, a couple of things in common We're parents and we've gone through some shit. It's just so special to be able to share those types of things with people from all over the world. And I've found that, you know, mental health and, you know, discussing your emotions, that's a universal language. And oceans in between us doesn't change that fact that we all understand what it is to be sad or depressed. We all understand what it is to, to be happy. And it's so cool to be able to make a connection with someone that I never would have been able to talk to you otherwise unless I started this podcast. I talked to a chick in uh, in uh, Israel. She's a oh, ex, wow. ex kickboxing champion and boot camp <laughs> instructor for the Israeli army. Oh and man. her and I had a, a lot of shared experiences, and I think that's so cool.
0: Yeah, so if you know you wouldn't have done the podcast, we wouldn't have met even. We we met through a podcasting group on Facebook, which was just kind of happenstance and super cool.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I was telling you before, you're in Washington state and yeah. I've had two guests on from Washington <laughs> state. I've had three guests on from Saskatchewan, Canada, one from Great Britain. Israel, New Zealand, like, yeah, it's super cool.
0: I think it's an important well, part of forming a, and, and forming a worldwide brotherhood of cares for mental health. Well, and also a community for people learning
2: how to be parents. Nobody gives you a, a manual when you take home a baby. And uh, I know with clients that I've worked with that first night at home, kind of realizing like, holy shit, what <laughs> do I do now? There's no real instruction guide out there.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And even cooler is, you know, the connections that I've made, they're lasting. You know, I still talk to people that I've had on as guests and we use each other as sounding boards when, you know, shit's going down at home. Like my oldest, Hendrix, at the moment, she's four and she is going through some things as far as her emotions <laughs> go and, like, she will just go ape shit at the drop of a hat you know, I asked her to put her jammies on last night and she screamed and she was punching her bed and I was like, well, you know, what's, what's the matter? And she's like, I'm just so angry. I don't know what to do. You know, and I, I can I can talk to someone who I've talked to from the podcast who now has, you know, an eight or nine-year-old and be like, hey, is this normal? Like, should I be worried? And they're like, yeah, no, totally fine. Like, you'll get through it. Just breathe. it's really cool to know just from these connections that everything's going to be okay we're all doing the best we can it's fucking hard job just breathe you'll be fine
0: (laughs) yeah that's really I think that's important for us to remember at all times
1: yeah definitely
0: man your story is just it's it's so cool it's got so much information that I don't even know where like to begin so you had your whole season of your podcast is out now what Correct, has yeah. the, how, what's the reception been like from parents and from your family and stuff?
1: It's been pretty awesome. Family, it's a whole other story. They none of my family have listened to my podcast, which is fine. I don't really care. But you know, for, I've got friends that I work with that don't even have kids that are like early twenties that listen to it, and they're like, "When's the next episode coming out?" You know. So the fact that it it's resonating with people who aren't even parents because of the mental health discussions and the aspects is awesome it was unexpected but you know it's opened so many pathways for me it's it's literally changed my life the podcast regardless of reception or downloads or views or whatever have you like those things in the end they don't matter you know what matters is that i'm becoming a better person because of the podcast and i i've had people reach out to me that like aren't people that followed me on instagram or facebook beforehand you know these are people that have just found my podcast from somewhere and have messaged me and been like, I've just listened to this episode, thank you so much. This is really important, and I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. And that's just so special and so validating. From the podcast happening, I have now decided that I am going to uh, exit my time in youth justice. And yesterday I have just enrolled in school for the first time in close to two decades to get my diploma in counseling. Oh wow, Wow. that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to start.
2: I took that step almost 10 years ago and it was probably the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I decided that I
1: want to help people. And, you know, while I can help in limited amounts in youth justice, I think with, you know, going into counseling, I'll be able to help people who are actually taking steps to be helped. So it'll be a lot more fulfilling for me personally.
2: Do you think you'd want to stay or eventually end up back in youth justice but just in a different role?
1: No, so I mean it was it's kind of a forced decision at the same time because my facility is closing down at the end of the year. We've got a new new facility that's being opened about an hour and a half away from here. So I have the option to transfer to <laughs> there, which I have signed up for in case I don't get the diploma done in 4 months. <laughs> but, you know, that's not something that's sustainable for me. So, one of my Previous guests on the podcast is a bloke that lives in the next town over, which is a 10-minute drive. He is a registered psychotherapist with his own practice, and he's essentially said place him in a job of yours once you've got that diploma. So it's all kind of falling into place for nice, me. Nice. That's awesome.
2: Well, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. So and it's truly an honor to get to work with people on a daily basis and and really affect affect their lives in a positive way, which in turn affects my life. And I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna do the same for you. Yeah. So very exciting. Yeah, yeah I was just I was just talking with a client about, you know, kind of what forced my decision into counseling then and, and all the lessons that I've learned in studying psychology you eventually kind of start to apply these things to yourself and the way that that's really changed me over the way, over the years, you know, almost with every technique that I learn, you know, I'm trying to figure out a way to better apply it to myself. So I think uh, especially as you're entering this journey sort of in discovering uh, the new Carter, right. And then the, the new Carter as a father and yeah. And, and what that you know, ends up looking
1: like. I learn best by practice, you know, so if I'm going to be a counselor, and teach people tools to help them better navigate their own issues in their own lives, I'm going to have to implement those tools in my own life to be able to transfer that across. It's not going to work otherwise. I'm not going to, I'm not going to preach what I don't practice. So, so I mean, it's, it's cool. I'm going to come out of it with a qualification and a new career, but I'm also going to come out of it with a lot more education to apply to my own life. Yeah, which you is sure will. You in, sure invaluable, will. Uh-huh. really invaluable. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. What's that process look like as, in Australia for getting a degree to be a counsellor?
1: Uh, so I've just signed up for a diploma, not a degree, Okay, um, which is purely online. I am lucky in that I do have a fair bit of downtime at work when it's quiet. So I'll be doing the majority of my studying while I'm on shift, which is awesome. So, yeah, as I said, our facility... Is closing at the end of the year. It's a two-year self-paced part-time online course. I'm going to try to bang it out pretty quick. I can do uh, some prior recognition of learning because I've got a Cert for in Youth Justice as well. So, there's some units that line up, which I should be able to get ticked off. So, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of cramming for the next couple of months and see how I go. <laughs>
2: I I know you said your your friend offered you a a placement eventually, but do you eventually want to end up working with a certain population or is there a certain mark you kind of want to make?
1: Yeah, I think the end goal for me is to get a job as a a welfare counsellor in a high school. I think that's where I want to be. I like working with youth in youth justice, but I think maybe I could help a little bit more if I was in the community with kids that were maybe going through some tough times before they ended up incarcerated.
2: You know, I think you'll really have a unique perspective with what you've seen, you know, in the prison working with, you know, those boys with your counseling experience as a father, and then also with your own, you know, kind of discovery of ADHD and, and the spectrum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you so. Know. I think I'll, I'll have a lot to offer. They just have to get yeah. past the piercings and the face tatties.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's what will bring them in. Yeah, it, I think it, that's, it uh, might, it might that's
1: lend a big a little relatable bit, yeah. piece. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah.
0: You know. <laughs> Yeah. I uh, I think it's so great. I think it's so great what you're doing because I know it's men are a minority when it comes to being counselors and therapists and stuff like that. Men are the minority
1: in any and all aspects of uh, the mental health space. Yeah, And it's unfortunate. And, and, you know, we're (laughs) trying to, we're trying to change that. And, you know, people like Ryan, people like you Sky (laughs) and people (laughs) like me, you know, that we're happy to share our experiences. We're happy to share our lives and that's, That's creating a ripple that's making changes in society that is so, so desperately needed, especially with men. You know, men are twice as likely to commit suicide than women because we have all been taught, you know, we don't talk about our emotions, you know, stiffen up your upper lip, man up. Mm -hmm. Men don't cry, all of that absolute bullshit. You know, I unlearned it. Mm -hmm. Other people can unlearn it. Mm -hmm. Everyone just needs to know that emotions don't have a gender. Crying is normal you'll be fine. (laughs) Let it out. Talk to people and let it out.
0: I heard something over the weekend that I really appreciated about emotions. And it went something like, emotions are like farts. And if you hold them in, they're going to be painful. If you let them out, they might stink for a while, but they'll eventually go away. And sometimes people won't appreciate you letting out your emotions around them, but you know sometimes it needs to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Sometimes they slip out. (laughs)
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's really wonderful.
2: Carter, do you have any advice for me if I want to be a father one day? What I should start preparing myself.
1: Yeah, um, throw out all do. your textbooks, yeah. man, because they are fucking okay. useless. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no amount of reading or podcasts or TED Talks or anything will ever prepare you. Everyone's journey is completely different and it changes Daily, very, very dynamic.
0: Time for me to oh, throw everyone, my parenting for yeah. dummies book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I bought the books. I never read them because ADHD, but I bought the books uh, <laughs> and I skimmed through the chapters. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's also different. You know, you can sit there and, and hear 10 people talk about their birth stories or their pregnancy journeys, and I can guarantee you that every single one's going to be some of the same but mostly different. I have three amazing kids. All three of their births were traumatic, all for completely different reasons. I do talk about that on the season finale of my podcast, season one with my wife, who I have on as a guest. We go really deep into uh, the birth stories of my three kids. And then, you know, having the autism diagnosis with Roman and, you know, kind of navigating what his life is going to look like and how delayed he's going to be in his speech and those types of things, that's been a journey that is ever-changing. You know, he started off with being able to say three words, mum, dad, and no, three words, and now we've got him in therapy every fortnight, and he just won't shut up. He talks all the time, and it's awesome. It's awesome to see just the evolution and, you know, Hendrix is four and she's really trying to figure out who she is as a person, and it's hard for her because, She's incredibly smart, but she is only four, so she doesn't have this broad range of emotional intelligence. So, you know, we have emotion charts up and we're trying to explain to her what the different emotions are and how she can combat those emotions or, you know, honour those emotions but don't live in those emotions. That's really important. We teach our kids a lot by making our own mistakes but also owning and honouring those mistakes. I'm not a perfect parent. I get angry and frustrated and I raise my voice, but the most important thing is that once the dust has settled, I sit down with my kids and I apologise and I tell them why I was upset and we talk about it as a family. They are not lesser than me. I don't see them as lesser than me. They are my equals because we are all people at the end of the day and it's important for them to see mum and dad own their own mistakes because how else will they learn?
2: It almost sounds like the whole family is going through this emotional intelligence journey at the same time.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's it's very much uh, it, as I said. It changes day to day. So actually, last night I I wrote up some some uh, we've got to do lists for for dinner time for Hendrix and Roman. So the both of them are very very big on TV because autism and whatnot, you know, so it's a stimulation thing for them. But they are also very, very not about eating their dinner. And they're very, very not about getting ready for bed and brushing their teeth. So I'm going to implement these checklists. They have to tick off all of the checklists before they're allowed to watch TV. So that's getting implemented tonight. Wish me luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. And
0: changing schedule like that is oftentimes difficult when you have someone on the spectrum or someone neurodivergent. How do you plan? Are you going to integrate it slowly or are you just going to go like, all right, here's the brand new schedule?
1: I'm just going to go hard. Okay. Because every night's different at the moment. And I know that people with autism and any type of neurodivergence thrive off routine. So this is introducing that routine and it's something that we're going to be able to stick to. It's not super convoluted and and hard to follow. It's five things they need to do. They need to at dinner time they need to eat at least three different foods that are on their plate, including one vegetable. They need to brush their teeth, get in their pajamas and pack up their toys. That's all. If they get four out of five things checked off, they get half an hour of screen time after everything's done. If they get everything checked off, they get to stay up a little bit later and watch a movie. So mm. that's that's, <laughs> the, reward payoff. Yeah, that's mm. the payoff. Yeah, that's <laughs> the payoff.
2: What are some of the things you think you could have used, you know, had your diagnosis been found earlier? as you were, you know, when you were younger?
1: I don't know. It's a great question. I wish I could answer you, but my younger life was so, so much to deal with that the reason I wouldn't have been diagnosed was because I wasn't on the radar for my family. You know, my mum and dad divorced when I was five. There was harsh custody battles. Mum remarried. I moved with her to a completely different town where I knew absolutely nobody when I was Eleven turning twelve, and then shortly thereafter, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, so everything was kind of eye, all eyes on my mum uh, throughout my entire teen years. She she battled for sixteen years. She passed away in December twenty fifteen. So I rebelled a lot in my teen years because there was no attention, and you know, everyone a lot just, of instability. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I didn't know if I was going to end up without a mother in a strange town where I knew absolutely no one. Uh, so I fell in with the wrong crowd. I started, you know, doing drugs. I ended up with a, a drug addiction. I ended up becoming homeless at the age of nineteen. So I, I've gone through a lot. Mm-hmm. I've really lived a life. I've I've partied like a rock star mm-hmm. without the bank account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's I don't have any regrets it's all stuff that has led me to becoming the person that I am today. And every day I look in the mirror and I kind of like myself a little bit more. So I think it's all worth it in the end.
2: Can you also speak a little to what it's been like to, you know, to sort of find this new identity within a marriage, you know, and and yeah, how that has been either accepted, welcomed, not welcomed uh, by your partner and, you know, sort of that unmasking while, you know, while in, in a relationship or while, you know, uh, bringing up a family.
1: It's been cool. It's been hard at times, but overall, it's been a pretty positive experience. For me personally, it's been a positive experience. My wife, excuse me, my wife struggled a lot with her unmasking journey because it was also quite inadvertent. It was, you know, the ADHD medication leveled her out and then it was all of a sudden, like existential crisis kind of thing and you know I remember a night where we were she'd gotten home from work she's like I don't feel like myself and I was like what do you mean and we kind of started discussing it and the more we discussed it and the more that conversation evolved the more I was like oh shit she's in for a tough time (laughs) and you know that ended up with you know her in tears being like I don't fucking like it I'm going to stop taking my meds I just want to go back to the way it was my wife herself you know she was diagnosed BPD as a teenager she's got a whole slew of her own life stories that she talks about on on the uh, podcast but yeah look both of us are, are really really into discussing our mental health and our mental well-being and and our states on that day you know so if i'm struggling on a day I have no hesitations in talking to her about that and being like, hey, I'm I'm struggling today for this reason or I'm not too sure as to why. And she's just like, what can I do? Is there anything you need from me? Want space? Do you want affection? Do you need me just to make you a meal? Like, It's very much, we entered into our marriage with this kind of motto that if I'm only feeling 30% that day, she'll be the other 70% that's needed. Together we'll always make up a hundred percent, no matter where we're sitting. And you know, if we're both feeling twenty percent on that day, then we just raw dog it through life together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it sounds like you guys both have like this incredible compassion, though. You know, that really seems to permeate throughout both of your lives.
1: Yeah, we we try our best to not be shit people. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Can I go back to
0: you know? You said you had kind of a rough childhood can I go back and and ask what was your turning point? Like what made you decide to change and know that you didn't want to be involved with that stuff anymore?
1: I mean, I have all of these different kind of stages through life. You know, I had the growing up zero to 10 part of my life where it was the divorce and the messiness and all of that. And then, you know, from 10 to 20, I had the rebellious teen years, which is not unlike a lot of other people. I just, you know, had, The fact that my mum was dying thrown in, and me being in this town that I hated, living in a house with a man that I did not get along with, and yeah, it was really hard. And then I went through my little homeless phase and my drug addiction phase, and a whole bunch of failed relationships, and getting fired from jobs because I just wasn't performing well. You know, it's it's all typical, I'm sure. A lot of people go through these types of things. I think with the drug addiction. My turning point was in 2009. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I would just finished work and I had told my then girlfriend that I was going to a friend's house just for, for the afternoon. I'd be home later that night. I'd be home before dinner, I said. And I rocked up in the door three days later, running on zero sleep, 10 kilos lighter, uh, and just an absolute shell of a human. And she was like, I was getting ready to call the fucking police and declare you missing like what happened and I couldn't string words together I was just I was yeah absolutely out of it so I ended up sleeping for two days and when I woke up she was sitting on the end of the bed and she had made me lunch and she was like eat something and then she looked me dead in the eye and she said if this shit happens again I'm gone and I Pretty much quit cold turkey then and there because I was like, this isn't fun. Like, I feel like shit. This isn't fun. It kind of had served its purpose, you know? It was my way of numbing myself to the point where I didn't know who I was anymore. And then I was like, I don't want to be numb anymore because what's the point of numbing something that you don't know what it is anyway? So yeah, I kind of just got my life back on track from there and still partied occasionally here and there, uh, but never kind of went back to the frequency that I was doing things. I found balance and, you know, while people may not agree with drug use or anything like that, we all have different lives, you know. But now entering uh, marriage and fatherhood and all of that, as it's just you know, my life changed completely. And I'm, I'm in my favorite phase now where I get to, you know, mold these people into what will hopefully be good, kind, empathetic, compassionate people when they grow up. And I get to do that beside my best friend and my wife, which is double awesome.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. I love it. That's such a great story. Uh, You know, I'm so happy that you've got her and that she's supportive. And you guys are kind of going through this together and growing together. Yeah, it's you know, it's some couples can't say the same thing and make it through those things. So, you know, that's very commendable.
2: I think one of the, one of the biggest problems that, you know, young men are facing today, and it sounds like, you know, it might've been an issue for you was like the lack of mentorship out there. And so it sounds like you're going to be a wonderful mentor to your kids and, and that you've been a mentor already to to some of these kids in prison further on.
1: So, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that's the plan.
0: Well, I think we're, we're kind of wrapped, we're ready to wrap up here. You know, this is kind of the end of, of our session today. But, uh, man, unless anyone has any, has any like closing remarks or anything they want to say, Carter, it's been, it's been wonderful having you on this podcast today. Can you tell us where our listeners can find you and your social media and all that stuff and the projects you're working on?
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Sky and Ryan for having me. It's, it's been great, great conversation equally. Thank you for the work that you guys are doing. It's very important. And, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's it's awesome. I'm going, I can't wait to listen to more of your podcast. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's instagram.com slash at touchedoutpodcast. That's where I am most active. We have TikTok and Twitter Instagram is is where I'm most active we're actually currently running a giveaway competition uh, for the celebration of the premiere date for season 2 which will be on October 4th first season is complete and released you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, so that's 13 episodes with a bonus mini Mother's Day special episode which is me talking about my mother's cancer journey and her subsequent passing. Pretty emotionally charged. I do have the videos of that episode and the episode with my wife up on YouTube. If you want to watch the videos of it, but yeah, just a trigger warning. We do talk about some pretty heavy stuff. We talk about you know suicide, attempted suicide. We talk about birth traumas. We talk about a whole range of of different things. So if you tend to get a little bit upset at uh, hearing about those types of topics, just kind of be a little bit more wary going into some of the episodes.
2: Sounds like my kind of episode though.
1: I, <laughs> I, you know. Yeah. Real important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of a winning formula because it's 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 like it's helping people, but it's also that weird reality TV mentality where people like to see the dirt and like to hear about the shit that people have gone through.
2: Well and that they're not alone in, you know, the dark places that they've gone to also and and it's Uh, just like you had spoken about earlier, sometimes just finding the language to put on what we're experiencing can really help. And so hearing somebody else's journey, you know, and that they've found a way out or been resilient or ended up on the other side is really encouraging. I thank you.
0: So that's it for this episode, everybody. Thanks again, Carter, for joining us. And, and thanks Ryan for being here with us today. I know, you know, you're a, you're a busy therapist, man. You gotta, you gotta set aside time and And we're so happy that, you know, we're all all on this journey together. So from Sky, I just want to let everyone know that it's okay to not be okay. And thanks for listening.